Hi, and welcome to another episode of Quirky Pop. I'm Katrina Parker here, and with me, I have a, I'm just going to say again, it's a special guest, and I'm so excited, I'm nervous at the same time. <laughs> I have Leslie Streeter with me. How are you? I'm so good. It's so exciting. Like I said, this is the most fun stuff that I do. So I'm so excited. And you're so fun. We met on Twitter, everyone. We met on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And we just like laugh on Twitter and talk about stuff. And just and it's a big deal for stuff that some people don't care about. Who cares about those people? Because we do. So yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, we met on Twitter and um I just saw like a post in particular you were talking about like murder mysteries and stuff. And it was like hilarious. Like uh, you were just like describing what happens with like the mistress is like, I'm not leaving anywhere, Jeffrey. And <laughs> I, I just laughed so hard. It was, it was an outfit. It was about a dress. And it was mm -hmm. about, I thought it's like, you know, because, you know, Facebook is watching you. And for some reason, there was this thing about this dress that was on like some like, um, thrift store or whatever one of those things and it looked like a dress that sammy joe would have worn it was in it i i i'm 50 so i'm very gen x so a lot of my references are very 80s and 90s mm -hmm. i was like this is something either like sammy joe on dynasty or some woman who was mistress on murder she wrote who was like you know victor i'll find you you know it's like <laughs> yeah and and so many people were like their names are always victor or richard or robert and they all had like mm -hmm. that dress. Then they would always like get drunk at the party the wife was at. Yeah. And we, I'm going to tell her. About tropes <laughs> later. But that was, the, I love those. And like, it's sort of like, I'm a huge Law & Order fan, but I know there's like a very classist thing in Law & Order. Like for instance, you can always tell, they telegraph like who the white trashy woman is because she's smoking. Mm -hmm. Smoking. Always the smoking. Or the big hair. Or she says use or whatever it's like oh that's shit but you know they've got yeah. like an hour to tell 43 minutes to tell a story or whatever so they're like we want you to know we don't like her we're moving on or whatever yeah. <laughs> so it's, just, it's so funny but those things like wardrobe or how they talk or if it's new york or borough they're from they use the words bridge and tunnel a lot or mm -hmm. you know um i noticed on like true crime things like on Whenever there's shows like Deadly Women on um, Investigation Discovery, a lot of those things are produced in England and in, and in Australia. Mm -hmm. So I, I learned that a lot of the, they would do su fake Southern accents because they couldn't figure out how else to do an American accent. Oh, okay. So they would do these like exaggerated, like, Foghorn Leghorn accent. <laughs> Indiana, what are you doing? So yeah, it's very funny. And so there, I have, I actually did a sort of uh, crowdsourcing poll of some of my friends about um, tropes and stuff and these kind of things. So I can't wait to share some of that too later. Okay. Yeah. Great. So um, just so we ours can kind of learn about you, just tell us about yourself. Oh gosh, I am a person <laughs> who there's always people who go, oh you got a job so you get paid to watch tv and i would say no i get paid to write about tv but yes i get paid to also write about to talk about tv like literally one of my last assignments this summer was a regular gig as a freelancer um doing uh bachelorette recaps for the seattle times because the latest bachelorette before this one katie thurston was from seattle so 
I've always loved music and movies and television and all of that stuff because not just because I like it, but because I felt that finding those things out about people was a real way to figure out who they were, like what you like, what you invest mm-hmm. in, the, the sports teams you like, the people you cheer for, the records you buy, the the things that you're loyal to. Um, certainly lately the things that you stream or the things that you um, listen to online, the, uh, like on Spotify, or whatever, all those things are who you are. And some of it is where you're from. Some of it could be generational or, or situational or racial or cultural. And some of it's just like a quirky thing you um, connected to. And I, I was a sociology minor at University of Maryland, journalism major, and then I switched to history and all those things work together because they tell you about people and about what people care about. And I've always written like the fun stuff for the most part. Um, I also have written a book um, that came out last year about my widowhood, but it's funny. It's a funny book with pop culture references about my widowhood. Um, And I write about, there is usually some sort of movie reference or TV reference or pop culture reference in everything that I write, no matter what it is. Um, Like I wrote a story for the Washington Post magazine about, um, parents and about the conflict being conflicted about your kids going back to school this year. And I wrote about a Staples commercial from the nineties. So yeah, I will always find a way to do that. I am 50 years old. I am from Baltimore, Maryland, where I now again live. I spent a lot of time in Florida between Miami and West Palm beach with a little time in York, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour North of here. I have a little boy named Brooks who is eight years old. I co-parent with my mom who's amazing. I'm a twin. I'm a very slow runner, um, but it, I, I was was a vegan for four years until I moved back to Maryland. I went, oh, fish. I remember fish. Fish is mm-hmm. good. Um, I'm vaccinated. I am, <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. I just, I love all kinds of things. I'm a bad guitarist, but I love it. I have a friend who's going to be patching my guitar so I can play it again. I just, I, I love what I do. Um, in many ways, I started freelancing and basically conducting my own writing business, which includes everything from writing for the Washington Post and Washington Post Magazine and other publications to doing writing coaching, to speaking, to doing a lot of grief work, um, to doing everything. I'm open to a lot of stuff. I yesterday, you know, had an opportunity to explain to a, a, an old friend, I'd love to help you out, but the next time I do it, I'm charging you. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I'm on Twitter entirely too much. <laughs> I don't think you're on too much. Oh I, I love seeing your post on Twitter. Oh, I have fun. I have fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. And once again, I, you're so enthusiastic and so fun. And it's always when I see the Q, I'm like, yay! This is when <laughs> Q is a good thing. Don't come after me, Q and people. Man, I don't have time for it. Mm, yeah. So, um, like I told you before, I read your book and um, there's just like, again, like I love like all of the pop culture references in there. Oh, yeah. So it's like, I found myself laughing or going like, oh yeah. And then like, I cried like three times and then like, I got, I felt convicted a little bit when you were talking about like your sister and being like a twin and just like the sucky part of having a twin, like being called twin. And like, I never, like I have, nieces that are twins I've never done that um but like I feel bad because like it's easier for me to like spot the difference between T and Tamara 
than my nieces right now. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not right. I don't see Tia Tamara every you, day. I had a problem with Tia Tamara for a long time. Really? And, you know what it was? Because so much of it is that they marketed them to look alike. That when they first started as sister in the 90s, there, there was not an individuality portion of it. It was mm-hmm. these girls look alike. So I would sometimes have, now I don't need more because they've, as adults, they sort of fomented mm-hmm. their, um, their individuality. But yeah, I had a hard time with Tia and for a while and I felt so embarrassed by it. Like as a twin, I should be able to know. I'm like, oh no, you tell me. Yeah. We're a name tag, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, well, cause it's like Tamara has a mole. They oh. hit it the first season, but then they got rid of it. Like oh. they made, they made it where um, they gave Tia a fake one they could be exactly alike but then they moved it and then just like their facial expression so like with my nieces when they first come in I can't tell who's who but then they start talking and they, their personalities are different and then oh. I get it um they are 14 now oh and see that's I mean, once again, I can't speak for every twin because my sister went to college with these set of twins and now live in different countries one lives in Maryland one lives in Costa Rica but when they went to call it to college they they shared a room and mm-hmm. they met my sister. They're like, what do you mean your sister goes to a different college? I mean, they they had not wrapped their brain around that individuality. And now they're like, wait, I mean, they're incredibly close, uh-huh. but they're also very physically different and 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 away from each other and distant from each other. So it's just so funny. I think a lot of it's just sort of like set that up. My parents wanted us to know what it would be like to be a part. So we went to different schools in fifth grade and then we went to sixth grade and then we moved overseas. So I went to, let's see. SAS Hamilton city. I went to six different schools between fifth grade and ninth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and most of them were really close to each other. Most mm-hmm. of them all in Baltimore, just like we moved and came back. So it was very weird, but that really taught us to like figure out who we were. And even though we went to the same high school, we had different uh, classes and different, um, different activities and stuff. So, and we're like, I'm one of the reasons I moved back to Maryland was to be close to her. And I was like, Oh my God, we wasted all this time being away, but it was good. We, we, I don't regret any of the decisions that I made. We, I was where I was when I was supposed to be. So that's good. Yeah. So, um, why don't you tell us what are some of your own quirky icons, real or fictional? Oh my gosh, I wrote these down because I didn't want to miss anything. Because you know, sometimes people ask you questions and you're like, oh, I know this answer. And then they ask you like, Darr. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and I'm old. So some of these might predate you, but I'm just going to go. Phoebe Buffay of Friends. Okay. The best friend. The one who was not a jerk, honestly. Columbo. Okay. Janet and Jason of The Good Place. Janet, the robot type thing and Jason mm-hmm. it was amazing um Carlos Spinelli of um Car- Tortelli from uh Cheers uh Rose from the Golden Girls Lou Grant mm-hmm. of Mary Tyler Moore uh Larry Daryl Daryl from Newhart okay um Fran uh Fran Fine from The Nanny mm-hmm. uh Bookman from uh Good Times okay uh, Right. Uh, Kelly from Insecure. Love her. Uh, Florence, uh, the maid from the Jeffersons. And my mm-hmm. absolute favorite two like weird crime people, 
Elizabeth Rogers, the uh, medical examiner from all of your law and orders, and Bobby Gorin of Criminal Law and Order Criminal Intent, my absolute favorite character of all time. Okay, so I knew most of those because, like, I'm I'm 39. There you go. And like, I I definitely watched um, Mary Tyler Moore and stuff, and yeah. So yeah, I knew a lot, and then. Some of the people that you name, I've either already done shows about them okay. or I'm getting ready to do shows. So like you might want to go back in like because like Phoebe, I did one just for Phoebe because like you said, like she was the one that like out of all of the friends, she's the only one that I would have wanted to be around, <laughs> to be honest. And we look back at friends almost 30 years later and talk about the privilege and the obvious whiteness and the. Mm-hmm whatever. But Phoebe was this person whose mother she thought had died, who lived in her car, you know, who was an adult, even though she was their age, mm-hmm. she had lived on her own. She didn't put up with a lot of their like silly. So they thought that thought of her, this like silly kind of person. And she's like the point where she has them, Monica and Rachel by the ears. And she goes, yeah. Oh my God, you're in prison. You'd be my bitch. And I was like, yes, <laughs> every once in a while, the show reminded you that some people had a different experience and everyone didn't go to college. Everyone didn't have this comfortable upper mm-hmm. class, middle class background. And that, and also your early twenties is often the time where you make friends with people who are not like you. So Phoebe and Joey were these people that they might not have met had they just been like people I went to college with people I went to high school with people I grew up with. And so I thought that for all of the inaccuracies and like silliness of the show, that Phoebe's presence as the really close friend who had, a, who lived a completely different experience than them was very accurate about what happens when you're adult. Also my, one of my favorite episodes of any television show, it's not about crime, but it's the one in the first season when they all go to, to, um, take Ross out to dinner for his birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that, that, that moment, which I found so realistic about when you realize that your friends, when once they're adults have different economic realities than you do, that mm-hmm. three of them were like, Oh, we'll just split the dinner. And the other three were like putting the sugar or in water and putting the sugars in their bag. And the, because, and the other ones didn't notice because as far as they were concerned, there were no difference in their friends. But the other ones understood that there were because they couldn't afford to like split a sixty like a hundred dollar check or whatever. Yeah. They couldn't spend sixty dollars on dinner um, at some place. And so I remember being that person, you know, to going, no, get that to the penny. I might be able to give you five dollars tip. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a picture of my friends at one of my birthday parties. At University of Maryland splitting the check because that was what we were. And I was dating this guy. He was like, why don't you just split it? We're like, we don't do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a whole thing. Yeah. So you, you share some of your favorite TV shows, but were there any more like TV shows that you didn't mention? Oh my gosh. Like, that's favorite your favorites? TV shows include uh, All the Law and Orders, Murder, She Wrote, Insecure, A Different World, MacGyver. Okay. I, I love also I love psych. I'm a big psych fan. Um, I there's a lot of stuff that I loved. Homicide, Life on the Streets was my fa- probably my favorite all time show, uh, which is a precursor to The Wire. It was um, Tom Fine Hannah Barry Levinson's show came out in ninety four, ninety three. Uh, was on for five years. Was set in Baltimore. Um, was based on a book that David Simon, who went on to do The Wire and The Corner and other things, very famous. Um, 
wrote, he was a reporter at the Sun, the Baltimore Sun, and he was embedded with the homicide department for a year and wrote about that in that book. The show was based on that. So I love that show. I love The Wire. Although as a Baltimorean, people watch those shows and go, oh, we know everything about Baltimore. People get shot all the time. Like people get shot everywhere. And that's right. not like endorsement of mm-hmm. it, but you know, um, also, I have to point out, I don't know, because the people younger than me watching this, I'm wearing my Poison t-shirt um, because I'm also a big hair band fan. Because why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's talk about, you know, what made you want to become a writer? I think it's that I like to talk. <laughs> and I, and I thought I always, I feel like writing is really storytelling. The, the actual writing of it, the putting it down on paper, the, whether you write it or dictate it or type it, whatever it's what's here that makes you a writer. It's not about this. So mm-hmm. it's, are you a storyteller? Do you come up with creative ways to talk about things? And I did, you know? And so when I was about 13 or 14, I discovered something called journalism. And I'm like, oh, they pay you to write? There's a paycheck attached to this? Great. Let's do this. Um, I just think, I'm not one of those people, I'm not a snob. There's so many writing snobs. I don't know if you've been following the bad art friend uh, controversy. Do you know about this? Uh, No. It's a bad art friend. Basically, the short version is, look it up. It's fascinating. Really, it gets into sort of like the gatekeepy upper echelon writer things. Basically, there was a woman, there was a New York Times magazine story about a woman who was a writer who was a writing instructor she had not been majorly published but she was a writing instructor at a place in the boston area called grub street and she had donated a kidney Mm -hmm. and like they you they do they encourage you to do a facebook page and have a kidney donation and talk about it whatever so she noticed that a woman it was like 30 people there was a woman who was a writer who is connected to that group to the grub street group had been kind of lurking on her post, but not commenting. So she's like, well, maybe it makes her uncomfortable. I don't know. So she reached out and said, hey, how you doing? I guess you know that I did this. Oh yeah, whatever. So then she finds that this woman a year later has written a story about a kidney donation. And she's like, what are you doing? She's like, what? So anyway, it's gone litigious because she literally admitted that she took some of the woman's letter that she stole. It's crazy. But all of that to say is that there is this weird like gatekeepy thing that writers do, which that this, this whole crazy thing exemplifies about mm-hmm. who gets to be a writer, who doesn't. There are probably better writers than me who just didn't follow the path that I did, you know? And so I cannot say that I'm a real writer because I've been published or because I have a platform that's stupid. Um, I will say that I... I think I was, I have a talent that I was kind of born with, but I also always figured out how to kind of make it work. Like I said, there's a lot of people who have that talent who just haven't had the chance to, to figure it out. Um, and I, I'm so blessed that I've been able to make most of the money that I've made in my life by writing. And nice. I, I'm, really, yeah. I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of that. Yeah. So um, what's your favorite subject to write about? Um, honestly, pop culture and myself. <laughs> I, I write about that, but I'm a, I'm a, I was, I've been a columnist most of my life since I was in high school. I wrote columns and stuff. So it was more mm-hmm. it was like, here's my opinion about this Phil Collins song or this, you know, movie or this episode of Law and Order or The Bachelorette or John and Kate or something trashy like that. It, there was opinions and stuff. 
you know, so when I started, when I wrote my memoir, um, some people like, oh, some people find it hard to write about themselves. I'm like, I don't. And I'm not apologizing for it is what I mostly I like writing about culture. Like I said, because culture is such a tell about, I just went on a date today and I was like, what do you watch? He's like, I get bored in 15 minutes. I'm like, this is probably not going to work out. (laughs) We're going to have a second date and everything, but I'm like, maybe this is not for me. Uh He's like, I like to watch it with people. He's like, oh, I'm like, whatever it's like because my favorite people like you're one of my favorite people already because i can go oh my god in this episode you're like yes i've seen that so yeah (laughs) that's my thing that's my thing but not once again not just i watch it in a void i watch it because it connects you to other people Mm -hmm. and when you meet people like one of the things they ask you on dating sites is like what tv shows do you watch what what albums have you bought what's the first concert you went to um and even if it's not the same as someone else they go, oh my gosh, I, I bought that. Or I, that was on the flip side of a mixtape. Someone made me mixtapes. People are like playlists for old people. Yes. That's what they are. My, my goddess like mixtapes. You're like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> so um, tell me about, you know, your writing process with Black Red Widow. Like, you know, did you find it like difficult? Cause you said you like to write about yourself, but like this particular subject, I'm sure. You know what it was? I really, I decided I was going to write this book that day, the day my husband died in you. I was going to write that book. I just, a lot of it was just kind of like, like physically needing to get those feelings out of your body. Mm-hmm. And also I was like, it is not to be cynical. I'm like, I'm widowed now for like six hours. Maybe this is another way to make money, mm-hmm. you know? And once again, refused to be embarrassed by all of that. Also, I thought, I woke up the next morning and said, this is terrible. Other people feel this terrible too. And I would like a million of when I couldn't sleep, I look up like how many people are widowed every day and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I understood that I was privileged in that way because I had a job and a driver's license and my own bank account, my own credit and a lease in my name and my own car and, and, and stuff that so many people around the world don't, they just lose everything. And I thought other people will relate to this. So I should write this. So there was a moment, the first edit that I wrote when I, once I sold the book to Little Brown, the first mm-hmm. edit, I was like, you open it and there's all this red. You're like, no, all these marks are like, how could you judge my soul? And you're like, <laughs> fine. And having been a writer for a very long time and having written by that point, having written columns about this and, and having written about myself and about my adoption and all the other stuff, my son's adoption, all that stuff, I was able to write about that stuff but also it was being it was being edited by people that I knew this Mm -hmm. was like a whole new situation so the first part was like but I just I when I first started writing I would have ideas like on my notes mode um in the the line at Publix or I would scribble things down on backs of envelopes and then try to put them places I could find them so would it just like like that's a funny line oh I forgot that memory let me write that down um and so a lot of my process is chaotic, mm-hmm. <laughs> chaotic, but also I try to, when I wrote about people to talk to them and say, Hey, listen, this is what I wrote about you. I didn't say I'll take it out because I didn't want to, but in mm-hmm. the most of it was like weird stuff. Like I wrote about my, my babysitters, um, whose mom said, 
hey, listen, you refer to one of them by their actual name, one of them by their nickname. Could you pick one? And I went, yeah, that's consistency. It's like stuff I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. The stuff that people or was like, well, actually, you called me before that person. Some of that I didn't change because who cares? But some of it, like, I showed up here. And some of it's like journalistic. It's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. You said this person came at this time. This person came at this time. Really, they were here then. And I went, and I was willing to change that because that was what happened and didn't really change much. And why not? Why not change that stuff? But yeah, I just listening and trying to figure out what's important and not taking everything so seriously, even yeah. though it was obviously very serious, but also funny in a weird yeah. way. Yes. Yeah. Cause you, and you also did like the audio because I listened to the audio. And it's funny. I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to do it. When they first said, Do you want to do it? I said, Absolutely not. So I was like, I don't want to tell that story again. I wrote it, it's done. Mm-hmm. And then they said, People like memoirs that come that are read by the writer. And then they're like, also, here's $2,000. Like, yes, I'm very interested in this. Yeah. But I will say it was incredibly cathartic to sit there in this room for a couple of days at, at a theater in, North, in a, or a studio in North Palm Beach. Uh, it was before I moved. And um, they were so nice and they had lunch. They took me to lunch and they gave me tea and I was very comfortable and I got through it. There were a couple things like the, the scene in the, um, in the emergency room was very hard. Yeah. Very hard. And the one about, um, at the end, the, uh, the adoption part. Yeah. That, so that, that was really hard. The rest of it was like, Oh, and the funny stuff obviously was fun to read, mm-hmm. but there were some things where it's like, all right, you know, but yeah, that, that scene, um, with, Yeah. And because it was obviously who knew it would be so hard to, to talk again about it. But, you know, also I thought if I can be honest about this stuff, it'll, it'll be real to other people. And the, the whole point of writing the book was to connect to other people and have it be real to other people. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. Yeah. Um, you, I think about, as you were talking, I was thinking about how I read um, Jennifer Lewis's book, the black mother of Hollywood and um great story if you haven't like listened listened or um, I've listened to some read of it. Listened to yeah um so like I knew she did audio but like I just got like the book but because I know her voice so well yeah. I was like reading it in her voice like and this one right here so like it wasn't like but I, I kind of want to go back and hear her voice yeah. I, you, hear, you want to hear my Jennifer Lewis invitation yes do it I love it. That's my Jennifer Lewis invitation that I actually do want. Ha ha! Yeah. Have you seen this recent interview that they had of her where she like dumped this guy? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll have to send it to you. Um, she was, they were driving and she saw like this beautiful tree. And it wasn't necessarily about the tree, it was just how he dismissed her. And her reaction about him not caring about the tree was just hilarious. I will send it to you. Like, I, yeah. It's <laughs> such an amazing, um, uh, she's a, once again, she's a storyteller and mm-hmm. she has, as the black mother of Hollywood, as a person who's been around so long and to see, to been around long enough to see where she can have this vibrant role of this older black woman who is sexual and funny and she's often wrong, but sometimes mm-hmm. she's very right. And she has, she can play the comic and dramatic multitudes of this woman and that role did not exist. 
Yeah. In a way. Cause like, I love the Jeffersons, but Louise Jefferson was not allowed to be sexual. She was not allowed to be, you know, Florida Evans from good times. They were not allowed to be sexy. They were like, they get kissed on the forehead or whatever, but it was not like Claire mm-hmm. Huxley was a little, but she was also younger and skinnier. When you have a Jennifer Lewis, whose character is probably in her sixties, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's different. And it's not played for laughs like the Golden Girls. It's not, I mean, it is a little bit, but mm-hmm. she's, she's kind of a, Ruby's kind of a freak and I love it. I love yeah. it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ruby. Um, so, like you know, I read in the book how um, this woman gave you like this negative response and she was like, um, her divorce was much harder than you losing your husband, which like, that's ridiculous, but I kind of want to know, like, you know, what were some of the positive things that came out of you sharing all your story? Of, all of it has been positive. I have met people online and like you on Twitter, it's just by sharing my story, like Patton Oswalt, the uh, comedian and actor, mm-hmm. um, who's also widowed, who we've become, I mean, I wouldn't say we're not like friends, like I could go to his house, whatever, but we, you know, have texted back and forth, whatever. And he's lovely because he's been vulnerable about his story. And so have I, and I found him and I emailed him and said, you shared about your, this routine about his, his wife, the aftermath of his wife's death, which was so funny and brutal and everything. And so I've, I've met some people that way. Uh, Timby Locke, whose story, it's another woman who's black, who's a widow, whose story um, from scratch is a movie going to be a, a series on Netflix that Reese Witherspoon is producing with um, Zoe Saldana playing okay. her. And I've met some, I've connected to such wonderful people. And like, I was just at Camp Widow, which I write about in the book um, in San Diego a couple of weeks ago. And at least two people came up to me and said, I found out about this because you wrote about it in your book. And that to me, to, to find, to know that I personally, oh, wow. not only that I help support financially this organization that I care about, but that two mm-hmm. people decided to explore this thing they thought could help them because I wrote about it was super positive and super like, okay, that's why I did this. That's why I did this. Okay. So um, are there any plans to write any more about your life? Cause I feel like there's so much more to uh, kind well, of I learn about you right now. I'm, I'm pitching a novel right now, which is not really autobiographical, but it's, if, if it ever gets published, it's got some notes. Um, I am doing a lot of, like, I, I blog and I do different stuff and like all the columns are like, I wrote about like as a mother and other mothers, not necessarily interested in like being guilty about sending their kids back to school, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've read about that. So no solid plan to do any more memoir for the moment, but you'll find little bits of me and everywhere. And I'm doing a lot of things like this and like, I'm doing some really cool pot cool podcasts and other stuff and appearances and speeches and stuff. So there will be, um, to quote Ashley Simpson pieces of me. And all those- <laughs> I, mean, I love that song, man. I love that song. I know. Yeah. She's. Yeah. Since you know me better than I ever knew myself, I love how you can tell. What? <laughs> he says. I love that song. And <laughs> she was really good. Mm-hmm. She was really good. Yeah, I mean, it was cheesy. But that was a really well-written, well-produced song. There was a lot of really good pop music in that art space. 
Yeah. And I think that a lot of people dismissed it, dismissed it because it was earnest and it was happy and it wasn't mm-hmm. like layered with eight cents, eight layers of irony. And, yeah. And it, who needs that? Sometimes it's like, just like a thing or don't. No one has time for it. Yeah. Like a thing or don't. Yes. <laughs> Which one thing is I love about you? Because you're unabashedly like, I like this thing. It's like, good. Yeah. There's enough cynicism in the world. Like you, you got to, a, like, at least with me, I feel like I'd go crazy if I was just like serious all the time or just like pretending. Cause I think most of my life until maybe like 10, 15 years ago, I was always worried about what other people thought. So I would have all these things I would like, but I would like try to fit in. I'm just like, they're not going to like you either. But anyway, like be you and find your people. Oh my God. <laughs> you said that to me once. I'm like, who cares about these people? It's like, absolutely. Cause you learn it's like, you why deny pieces of yourself to people who don't care and they're being they're probably worried about what somebody else thinks mm-hmm. you know, everybody's worried about somebody else so why be worried about them don't yeah. don't be yeah so um we're gonna move into like you know our murder mysteries part like because like you mentioned like you like diagnosis murder mercy wrote um i put down monk but like you said psych. I, monk, i've done a psych episode monk, too. psych all of that stuff yeah. i just and as someone else had pointed out, you know, with, yeah, there's some problematic, we look back, there's some, some of the dude bro um, humor on psych is homophobic and mm-hmm. there's some problem. All of it is problematic. If you look at all of it, you know, like, you know, we're like for the first several episodes, first several seasons, there were no black people on murder. She on murder. She wrote. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, voodoo. It's like, ah, oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> It's when it was, it's what it was. And honestly, mm-hmm. some of it was like, you know, don't involve me. I'm fine. Leave mm-hmm. it over there. Let somebody else get killed. I'm good. <laughs> but, you know, I want to get your opinion is what do you think draws people like us to like to these shows? You know what it is? It's justice. It's mm-hmm. that 99% of the time, the guilty person is found guilty. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, is satisfying. I don't like, I watch a lot of true crime. When I see the ones where like guy in death row talks about that, nah, because I, I don't like the ones where it's, where they haven't found the real killer yet or where it's up in the air. I yeah. went, I know nothing in this world. I've been a journalist for 30 years. Nothing in this world is wrapped up tight. I'm sure we're wrong about a lot of it, but mm-hmm. for fiction, I want, I want to see the body of the wicked witch. I want to see her shoes. I want to see her melted. I want to see her hat. I want to mm-hmm. see it. I, I don't like ambiguity because that to me, like at the end of, um, of get out, I wanted everybody did <laughs> everybody. And it sounds so terrible. Mm-hmm. I want to know that Michael Myers, who now has been in 5011 movies. I, I, I don't care anymore. It's like, I'm watching that crap. Mm-hmm. They're never going to kill these people. I like when the end of murder, she wrote the dude who killed this mistress. He's out. Yeah. You know, the guy who killed his father's third wife for the money out 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 and that's what i like about it because so few things in our lives come to a satisfying satisfying conclusion i like my entertainment too yeah because like a lot of people like you know it it relaxes me like i think um snl did like this uh digital sketch thing where they had murder shows on the watching murder show yeah yeah i'm like that is so oh it's funny yeah it's weird, it's weird but it's true yeah because it's like it can relax you because it's like that thing of like justice 
and you know with everything in the world being like crazy and stuff like to kind of like see that and it's kind of like safe in a way it's like these bad things are happening but it's like if someone they're like going on this hero's journey to like just make things right in the world yep yeah (laughs) so um what are some of your favorite like murder mystery like tropes Oh my goodness. My favorite is the murder. It's specific to murder. She but also the other ones also mm-hmm. um, Sloan, we'll talk about this idea that it's like the James Bond villain. I'm going to sit here and tell you how I kill the people rather than just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> well, before I kill you, let me give enough time for the sheriff, mm-hmm. the FBI to come save you. No. Why would you do that? Also, I, I love, and this is a very old one, heart to heart, mm-hmm. heart to heart. And Murder, She Wrote, and Columbo, particularly Columbo, where you figure Columbo's mysteries are almost, they're all set in LA, almost always super rich people who are famous or rich or both who think they're smarter than him. Yeah, You don't think that one of these people wouldn't say to a friend, and you know who got me that Lieutenant Columbo? Because the next time you see them for years and years, they're always like, he's really stupid. Nobody ever told their friends, don't trust that guy. Yeah. Nobody, nobody ever wrote a story that said, this Lieutenant Columbo, he keeps finding these people and he's like, one more thing because he comes mm-hmm. in, he's all rumpled. It's just like, you don't talk? No one talks? Ah, it's crazy. And they tried to kill him a couple times, but they never kill him. They yeah. always talk too much. Also, I told you I did a um, crowdsourcing of several friends. Mm-hmm. My friend Tina said her favorite trope is that I've been waiting for you trope when the murderer is sitting alone in, in your dark in your living room waiting for you to come home. Yeah, on the lights and like blah blah blah. Um, the um, it's just also the fact that it's never the first person they interview. Mm-hmm. Um, also that with CSI and the original Law and Order, it's usually the guest star that did it. But on CI, which is my favorite, Criminal Intent was my favorite. Often the guest star is murdered somewhere in the middle. You think they did it, and then the guest, the big guest star, is middle somewhere in the middle. You go murder in the middle, and you're like, oh, okay. So yeah. I, love I love that stuff. Basically, but my favorite is the why am I still talking? Why am I, why did I not kill you? It makes, <laughs> sense. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's dumb. So I went to um one the diagnosis murder, but um one thing I wanted to mention as I was like researching this, I found out that well, two things. One that um there was an episode where there was um Andy Griffith playing Matlock on Diagnosis Murder. Yeah. Have you seen that one? I have not. I love Matlock too. Uh-huh. I love Matlock because him and Mark Sloan, both Matlock and Bob Sloan, were both old dudes mm-hmm. who were just. And yes, because you have Murder She Wrote, where you know she's very, um, you know, she's older and she's whatever, and she's very kind of, you know, oh, she's at every woman, whatever. But these guys. But like that Matlock's thing that he was, but he was like cranky, but like Mark Sloan was older, but he also could still run and like mm-hmm. duck people and people are always actively trying to kill him, whatever. And I just, I like that he, they did not present his age as a reason for you to not think he was going to get his man. He was very yeah. no nonsense. He would put his finger in your face and tell you whatever. And I just, I really appreciated that. And also, um, Dick Van Dyke continues to be, even in his 90s, incredibly handsome and incredibly classy. Absolutely. You know, I mean, Mark Sloan could got it, could have gotten it. Mark Sloan could get it. See, when I say that, people look at me like, you're weird. But like, it's see. Weird. 
he it's was not a, weird. He was a smart man with an impeccable mustache. Uh huh. Who dressed well? Why could you not get it? <laughs> they and they're lying. Honestly, lying. Yeah, like he's um he's actually from Danville, Illinois, which is like an hour and a half away from like Bloomington. Oh wow. Yeah. Cause like they he meant he mentioned it in Dick Van Dyke in the Dick Van Dyke show Danville. I'm like, and I'm like, wait, that's a real place. That's not too far away from here. Cause his um childhood home is like still there. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Hopefully I'll turn it into like a, a museum or something like that. I'd like go there on like a pilgrimage or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. So tell me like, you know, what you kind of mentioned about like, you know, how great he looks, but like, what else do you like about like. I, I love huh? that the show, all of the side characters were interesting. Like mm-hmm. on Murder, She Wrote, it was very clear that like, you know, Jessica was the main character and they would like have like, you know, Otis or you know, like the, the different uh, captains, the uh, police captain, but she was like the star. His show was very much an ensemble piece, even though he was a star with it, between his, his son um, or, you know, the first couple of seasons, it was Chachi. Yeah. Um, or, or placed by, and I watched one of the old ones with him and I realized how annoying that character was. Jack it was so annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, replaced by Charlie Schlater's uh, Jesse character who was weird and funny and in his head. I loved him. I loved just, and and Amanda, who we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. I just loved that there was such a sense of talented people around him, around Dick Van Dyke, which to me, because everything you read about him is that he was incredibly gracious and and as as a showrunner, um, and that he's an incredibly gracious person as a human. And you could kind of tell that he gave people chance. Also, he hired his son. It's like, that's right. Get them nepotism, everybody. If I ever make a TV yeah. show, nepotism, all my friends are like, you want, you want a job, baby? Yeah. Like, his you daughter was in the show and like some of his grandkids. Yes. Do that, man. <laughs> you're like, you're going to give them money anyway. Why not employ them? They're actually like making a living. Mm-hmm. Give people a check, man. I, I'm I'm very into that. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, you had mentioned Jesse. I didn't, like, write him down as, like, to talk about specifically, but, like, since you mentioned him, I thought it was interesting. A lot of his episodes, his friends would end up being the murderer, and he would always be like, oh, no, it can't be them. Like, like, arguing with Always, like, or women he dated or people who pretended to like him. It's like, Uh ugh. And it's like, I don't know, Jesse, were the last five of your girlfriends the murderers? I don't know. Maybe it's a pattern. Maybe you just pick badly. I don't know. Right. He's so upset. It's like, dude, you're the character who picks badly. It's like um, <laughs> the Chris Noth um, character on, on Law and Order was always falling in love with some woman who was a murderer. It's like, stop it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's um, there's another episode where um, Amanda was putting her son to bed and her son wanted her to marry Jesse so he could have like yeah. a dad. And she was like, he was like, no, like, why don't you like Jesse love him like that? Yeah. And I, I was thinking like, probably because, because he's crazy. crazy. <laughs> he doesn't make good and, decisions. Uh, he doesn't make good decisions. Like he'd wind up being, and I thought the show was kind of flirting with that, but mm-hmm. I was glad they didn't go there. I was glad they didn't go there. Because yeah. why would that woman 
what that guy who would be like another child. Why would you want to do that? Just mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. I'm glad they did do that. Me too. Um, but I wanted to move on to um, Queen Amanda Bentley. Like I, I was, I noticed that um, they first started doing TV movies and the character for Amanda Bentley and it was a white woman. And then it was another player person playing um, Tachi. (laughs) And um, like looking at her in those scenes, I was just like, you can't compare. You can't compare to her. I will tell you, and I will say I'm old, but there were not a lot of opportunities it seemed for a and she was obviously you know a successful um Victoria Rowe was successful by the time she was cast mm-hmm. um so Barbara actress and you know very well thought of you know, had been on Young and the Restless off and on for a long time and that did not happen just yeah. randomly casting a black woman Mm-hmm. In a role where she was not either the maid or the the mom, where mm-hmm. she was young and attractive and smart and successful and wealthy, of an age where she might date, where she was presented as a romantic and sexual creature, was very rare. Mm-hmm. It's still too rare. There was certainly rare that you would have a cast. It was not uncommon, look at friends or whatever, to have a cast where there were no black people in the leads. Yeah. With black characters or Latino characters or characters over 50 were all like the side people. Mm-hmm. And so to have her cast in this role, to me, once again, says a lot about Dick Van Dyke and about, you know, as the showrunner and understanding that who replaces white characters with a black woman? nobody yeah or no one well yeah. that's actually now they do now it's with like things like marvel and stuff it's all the rage but trust mm-hmm. me in 1991 that was not a thing yeah not a thing at all and i just she did such a lovely job that she looked like a black woman you know what i mean she never ever said and amanda is black but you saw that she was and they she was not she was not racially ambiguous mm-hmm. it was very clearly black she wasn't like you know, it just, I just enjoyed it because it, once again, I enjoyed her as an actress, but I also enjoyed that she just was what she was. And then you move on. It's like, yeah, she's black and over it. Move on. And now yeah. she then helps over murder. And now she was often the character who, because she was so smart, she was the smartest person in that group yeah. of people in terms she was smarter than Jesse. She was smarter than Chachi, um, whose name was Jack. His name was not Chachi, but whatever. He doesn't, right. he doesn't, he, he doesn't matter. Uh, he doesn't matter at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed that, um, that character a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that you said, um, I remember a friend of mine years ago, like I was talking about watching, rewatching the show and, um, she's like young in her twenties, white lady. She like told me, she was like, I grew up wanting to be Amanda Bentley. Like I would like dream and pretend that I was her. And like that bit so much to like hear that, like how see like a little white girl grew up looking at her and like, I want to be like her. It wasn't like, oh, this black lady. It was just like, I love who she is. And that was just, I think it's just a testament to everything that you said about like, the I, show I and her character. I really believe if you just present people, I mean, when I was in high school, um, there we, my sister and I babysat a little girl who was white and that year she never said it was because of us, but she asked for cabbage, cabbage patch twins who were black twins. 
Hmm. And she never had a reason to. Why would she? And I yeah. think if you model things, people say, so for many years, for people like you and me, it was, we only saw white characters in positive situations. So we wanted to be like them. Mm-hmm. And now we have a choice. My son can be, he has been for Halloween, both Peter Parker and now this week, Miles Morales, because mm-hmm. he exists. And yeah. he's also been Iron Man. He's been the Flash. He can choose to be Nick Fury. My nephew was Nick Fury. You know, you can do that. And he's also been other people. Because it's, you have the choice to see people that look like you don't just have to be the black person. You can be anybody. Like last year I was Joan Jett for Halloween because it's fun. And I, I love Joan Jett and she's from Maryland and I had a wig. Mm-hmm. And this year I'm going to be Diana Ross. I bought a wig and I have a dress with a cape that I already owned because of course I do. And I bought a little mini fan that can blow my hair as I walk around. Oh, and I love that. Funny. <laughs> And I was Molly Ringwald. Once again, never had to paint my face because why mm-hmm. would you do that? I had a red wig and a pink dress. That's mm-hmm. who I was. Keep up. And I was Shuri and I was Black Widow. I've been all these different Black Widow, which was funny. People were like, aha. I was like, yes, but I was Scarlett Johansson because it's like, it's yeah. a joke. I'm a book. I'm a book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what were your favorite like episodes or like moments from the show? Mine? And they were Amanda moments. My favorite episodes were the ones that dealt with her um she gets married to a police officer who's fbi agent lead who was played by harry lennox mm-hmm. who i think died at some point or like got divorced they didn't really mention him but then she adopts this other child mm-hmm. she has a baby with him that jesse delivers and then she has she adopts an older mm-hmm. child um but I just, I loved it because once again, she got to be the lead. There was two part episode with that, where there was like this murder thing and it was always a murder thing, but there was like a case that he was undercover and it was this whole thing. And I was like, once again, she got to be the centerpiece of this in her love life and her whatever mm-hmm. and the conflict of interest and all that stuff was the big deal. And they made her the big deal. And I just, I really enjoyed that. Also anything where, um, uh, the son's character was an idiot. And like, I saw this episode from the first season today where the one of the Chachi episodes where Mark was every other episode, he was like one of the suspects in a murder. Mm -hmm. And the woman who was the, who was investigating happened to be someone that um, Mark Sloan's son had stood up because they go, oh, and he goes, they go, who's the detective? And I, without seeing, goes, it's going to be a woman that he slept with. And yeah, okay, yeah. And then she's using, yeah. And I was like, ah. it was funny. He it got was, around. <laughs> oh, he was a hoe. Like, free much, if it was like a blonde white woman, he was going to sleep with her that episode. He was. <laughs> he had red hair. But yeah, it was, that was going to happen. He was good looking, dude. Barry Van Dyke, good looking man. Good looking man. I wonder if he's single, maybe. Mm, (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, there was this one episode, and it might have been a movie, where um, there's, like, a murder that, like, it was, like, his father's last case because, like, his he always felt that his, he knew that his, like, father left their family and never came back. And then... Yeah, like, and then you later find out that he didn't abandon them. Like, his partner murdered him, and, like, they found his body and stuff. And I was just like, they, like, it was, like, really quick, because it was, like, he 
you know, you could look at Mark's face and he's just like, oh, you know, like he did in Banners, but it's like, I felt like if that wasn't me, I would have to just like, just sit and think about that for a while. Like, Oh, I know. It was like, I'm going to be over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was like, he kind of like moved on a lot quicker than a person would in <laughs> real life. Like, I mean, I, first of all, it would have been like tears. Like um, my dad, like, you know, because you finally found out the truth yeah yeah because i think um another episode he didn't want his son to be a cop yeah and stuff i I think there was like resentment there and stuff yeah Yeah. but wow like that that was like a a big moment (laughs) in the show well there was depth in it like Mm -hmm. like i just enjoy that show it comes on you know when it comes on reruns i'm like yes let's do this Mm -hmm. yeah so um did you have any other like memories or moments or no basically like I said I just there were so many great guest stars on it and it was such oh yeah it, they went out of their way to, they were they didn't just say let's make this murder she wrote but in a hospital they they found mm-hmm. Dick Van Dyke once again who you know had been you know producing and acting in his own stuff forever and but he wasn't you know, the same characters he had played before. He wasn't the character from the Dick Van Dyke show. And he wasn't even the, the they did a follow-up, which is not a successful murder, uh, murder 101 mm-hmm. as a season where he was a professor or whatever, you know, where he's a good enough actor that he was able to do different things. And it was just a fully fleshed out character who was not a hot 35 year old guy. Yeah. And you just remind me of another episode that I really enjoyed. Um, uh, Dick Van Dyke had his brother Jerry Van Dyke on yeah. and he kind of like went back to like that character from that he played on Dick Van Dyke where also his brother where he would have um, sleepwalk but when he would sleepwalk he would be like um, a, like just a different personality and really like jumpy like hey everybody and, you know playing his ukulele and stuff like that I thought that was pretty funny it was kind of like a call back to the dick van dyke show and just um seeing jerry on there for years i i didn't know that they were brothers even though they had like the oh, same funny. last name there's one i'm trying to remember i'm trying to remember the name of the episode there was this and this was once again how things are a sign of the time there was an episode where there was a doctor female doctor who was apparently kind of promiscuous mm-hmm. and she wound up being murdered by her her neighbor because her neighbor had always been interested in her and she was like, Nope. Mm-hmm. And he was like, basically, how dare you? You sleep with all these other people, not me. Yeah. But the way that it kind of describes like, Oh, well, she gets around. It's like, yeah. And so does your freaking son, man. Nobody ever, mur- mm-hmm. they tried to murder him. But yeah. once again, there was that very much still late eighties, early nineties sort of suspicion of professional women are they too, do they, are they too fast? Are they, whatever. Do we use words like fast, whatever. Mm-hmm is it, are you blaming her and then there was a very quick line well, we're not blaming her for her own murder like that are you yeah are you? i don't know but yeah once again the you look at things that are even 10 years old about how they describe gay characters or how they yeah. describe characters who are from certain socioeconomic backgrounds or um once again that law and order you know i'm smoking in the bronx mm-hmm. <laughs> you know kind of you know trope so like i said i just it's one of those shows that if it comes on in um, 
in reruns, I will watch it. I'll watch half of it. If I can get it in the first 10 minutes and figure out who the color was, I'll watch it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you if you get past 20 minutes, you're like, I don't know who died. I don't know who that is. I don't know who else. people are. Who was the mistress? Yeah. Whatever. Although murder, she on um, diagnosis murder, it was mostly stuff like, I really wanted that surgery, you know, <laughs> or like it was malpractice suits or like mm-hmm. someone trying to kill a person with a, you know, bubble and a, and a um, syringe or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. ah! yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Also, you always think about the shows. You're like, if this many people died at this hospital, would they not have shut this hospital down by now? <laughs> would anyone go to Cabot Cove ever? Would anyone see J- Jennifer and Jason Hart at a party and go, you know what? Someone always gets murdered at these people's parties. I'm not doing this mm-hmm. today. Or would Monk like take him on vacation? Like, you know, someone's going to die there. Like, you, you know it. Monk. Once again, parties with Jessica Fletcher. Nope. <laughs> and if I was a murderer, I would never murder anybody around Jessica Fletcher. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? I'm going to die or I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to get caught. Why mm-hmm. am I doing it? Why am I doing it? It's dumb. <laughs> so um, we're coming towards like the end of our, our podcast, but so I know, I know. Fun. Like, I mean, just like. If, if you, you ever get was- bored, if you, if you ever have things you want to talk about, you can't find a guest. I, I will be that guest. Because whatever it is, I will probably watch it. So yeah. I will love to have you back. Like I. I, people use the term like kindred spirit, but it's just like, I just like feel like this, like this oh, energy so with you. I'm just like, I oh, feel my like, oh my gosh, I feel like I want to call you and like, you know, they do the things like those watch parties. We watch a show together and like mm-hmm. your, your own house is me and Baltimore, you and Illinois. And like, you know, even popcorn, like, what? <laughs> yes. It's it's I would love to do that. Let's do it. Yes. Yes. But I'm um, like, you know, like just tell our listeners where to find you and like your book. And I will tell you one of my favorite, well, my, one of my favorite podcasts is um, Scam Goddess. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? No. Lacey. Oh, it's so great. Um, Cause she always says at the end, where do you want to be found? <laughs> so, um, I'm always on Twitter, Leslie Streeter, um, Instagram, Leslie Grace Streeter. Um, I am doing a lot of, you know, podcasts and stuff. If you look at my website, there's things about where I'm going to be both virtually and in person. And some of that is building up now. So yeah, so I am everywhere. (laughs) Okay. Everywhere. All right. And listeners, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, Quirky Podcasts. And um, also my website, www.quirkypodcast.com. Um, I'm eventually going to put another um, written piece on there. I'm just, I'm so but thank you, listeners, and we will see you next time. Awesome. Love you.